Hello and welcome to the Formula Scout podcast. Formula Scout is home to news, features, podcasts and more from the world of junior single-seater racing, tracking the progress of future Grand Prix stars. And we have one specifically to talk about this weekend in Oscar Piastri, who took the FIA Formula 3 Championship this weekend at Mugello. But first, um, I want to talk about some news stories with... Uh, with myself, Craig Willard, uh, Joshua Satil, Elliot Wood, and Bethany Waring. And the first really big news topic of the week is the Macau Formula 3 race is off. And for the first time since 1982, it will be replaced by a category that is not Formula 3. Um, this year, um, it will be a Chinese Formula 4 race. Um, so, guys, I want to get your your views Um on this uh josh what do you what do you make of this is this um a necessary thing um are you surprised that it's happening at all um and do you think that this is going to be a, a one-off uh maybe a, a one in one two year uh kind of thing yeah definitely a one-off it'd be uh nice to see formula three back there hopefully next year obviously end of the season about a year away so you know quite a lot can can happen between now and then um and yeah elliot was always sort of banging on about chinese formula four and who, who knew that actually it would be quite important this year? So a good sort of boost for, for the series. You know, Formula 4, I'm sure, will work brilliantly around Macau. I think it's just good that we have it happening at all because I was fully expecting it, you know, not to happen at all. Um, prefer it to be Formula 3, but at least we have a Macau Grand Prix this year. Um, so, yeah, it'd be interesting to watch that one. And uh, probably a lot more people watching Chinese Formula 4 uh, than normal at Macau. Yeah, uh, certainly. I don't think we have um, too many of our listeners that are particularly, um, what's the word that I'm looking for, particularly dedicated to, to Chinese Formula Four. Um, so it will be it will be a, be a nice. Um, it's just nice to have have some street racing. I think this year um, in, in any category, I believe that the only other street racing that we might have will be. Um, around a, a half a street course at um, St. Petersburg in the IndyCar. Um, and that's only a, a, a possibility um, at this point. Um, who knows what will happen between now and then. Um, and the, the second big news topic really this week is um, Imola, uh, the F1 race at Imola, the, the not the San Marino Grand Prix, um, as I like to call it. It could well be supported by uh, Formula Renault Euro Cup and Italian F4. Um Bethany, you um, caught some junior single-seater racing from Imola earlier in the year. Um, what do you make of uh, this particular news story? Um, because we know that F2 and F3 won't be supporting F1 um, at, at the circuit. It's a, it's a compressed um, weekend for, for Formula 1 as it is. So do you think having a Euro Cup in Italian F4 is a, is a good thing for, um, for F1 at Imola? Oh, I think it's great for Formula Renault. I I think I'm right in saying they're usually the ones that do a Monaco for a one-off weekend, which is great for Formula Renault, less great for people who want to watch it because it's the Formula One weekend. But um, So it's great that they've uh, with Monaco not going on, they've got this opportunity to be on the F1 package. I think all in all, it should be fine time-wise because obviously... You're not going to have the usual support races. You're not going to have full. You're not going to have FP1, FP2. So it's really just fitting those in when the usual races would happen. It's going to be um, 
safety cars and red flags, that would be the bigger issue. But I don't think Italian F4 and Formula Renault are particularly red flag happy compared to other junior seaters. So I don't see this as a bad thing at all. It's great for these young drivers. It's great for F1 to at least have something on. To, so And um, the drivers can actually see what's going on on track. Obviously, you're not going to be able to judge. Lewis Hamilton isn't going to look at what some Italian F4 drivers doing and thinking, ah, yes, that's exactly what's going to be happening to me. But it's, it's going to be a, it'll be a bit of a litmus test for them to see how the Italian Formula 4 drivers are going over those curbs and thinking, hmm, maybe I don't want to risk that. Yeah, and it's a really, really good opportunity for the, the driver to show their, their prowess on a, on a Grand Prix weekend um, in front of all of the Formula 1 teams, um, which is something they don't often get to do. Uh, and as you mentioned, the Euro Cup usually supports... Uh, the Monaco Grand Prix, but unfortunately, that hasn't been able to do so this year. So, it'll be a good, really, really good opportunity um, for them this year. Uh, let's move on to this week's action, and we'll we'll start with um, Mugello, and we'll once again we'll we'll start with Formula Three because we have a new champion, um, Oscar Piastri. He had to work for it though because he and his chief title rival Logan Sargent came into the weekend with. Uh, grid penalties, Piastri had five places, Sargent had three places, Sargent qualified higher, um, whilst Piastri could only manage uh, 11th in qualifying, which ended up being 16th on the grid for the first race. Um, Sargent picked up a, a handful of points, um, while the outsider, well, the, the relative outsider, Theo Porcher, um, was able to take a podium finish um, in quite some style and put himself right into the mix as well, just nine points behind going into the finale. Uh, Piastri failed to score, while Sargent brought himself totally level with Piastri in terms of points race. Um, Piastri could uh, Piastri only start 11th, which made his which is painstakingly close to reverse grid pole. Um, and I think that really would have changed the, the narrative going into the final race and the, and the swing of the pendulum. But the pendulum swung once more as um, Sargent was eliminated on the first lap of the second race, um, which really put things um, in Piastri's hands. He just had to um, make sure he outscored, well, make sure he kept within range of uh, Porsche, who did his best, um, did an absolutely fine job to, to get, you know, end up on the podium once again in, in, the, in the second race, which is not an easy thing to do. In, in Formula 3, um, especially around a track as um, twisty as Mugello. Um, but Piastri ended up taking the title by uh, three points. Uh, Porsche ended up being second in the championship overall, whilst Sargent dropped to third. Um, so my first question for you guys is, is Oscar Piastri a worthy champion? And I want to start with Josh on this one. Absolutely. I mean, he didn't qualify in the front row, you know, for a single of... Uh around this season but his racecraft was exemplary um you know just fantastic that's why the title was really won he was fantastic in wheel tour combat uh Magello wasn't the finest ex example of his brilliance you know uh, just four points scored in the finale weekend to take the uh the championship is not the most spectacular way to do it but of course he was pushing all the way to the end you know pipped uh, Sebastian Fernandez uh, in a photo finish to take seventh place just showed how he's always pushing to the end 
Um, and yeah, it really was that racecraft. More sort of places like Monza, he was really, really strong. Um, we saw it Hungary as well. Um, just a very, very well-managed championship from, from start to finish. It always felt like, for me, he was definitely the faster driver, particularly in the races. Our sergeant had the edge in qualifying. Piastri really did something alive in the races, while Sargent tended to either get involved in incidents, especially towards the end of the campaign, or just sort of generally fell back from a from a good starting place. Um, so yeah, Piastri definitely a worthy champion, and Teo Porcher, a fantastic runner-up as well. Probably, you know, is definitely a big argument. You could definitely make an argument for him being the most impressive driver this season, um, especially as the sort of title race heated up. Um, he came, I think, from about 24 points back, to finish just three points behind Piastri and, and Pip Sargent second. Um, so, yeah, Porsche, a, a, a great runner-up, um, but Piastri, you know, very much a, a worthy mm-hmm. uh, And Bethany, what did you make of uh, Piastri's season? Yeah, he's been really consistent, and I, I, he's been consistent in saying so. But I think that's something that, that that's the thing that made him champion, like Josh said, um, Sargent and... Um, Porsche have had their moments and Oscar has had so many um, DRS issues, issues with other things that it's really remarkable that he's been able to keep cool and carry on and has taken that title. I'd also agree with Josh, or I don't think Josh said exactly these words, but for me, in the second half of the season, Paul Chair was probably the best, uh, best of the drivers. But it's that whole season, and it's the whole season that um, Oscar had. Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree. I, I think Piastri was um, really, really strong all season. There was no, there was no particular moment that I thought that there was absolute complete superstar quality but there was absolutely strong performances um throughout the whole campaign um there were very very few uh weaknesses within with his within his armor you could argue qualifying yes however at the end of the day he still put himself in a position um to be able to to secure points um when it mattered most in the races um i, I do think that he he was uh, very much a worthy champion this year um, he conducted himself very, very well, um, especially considering the issues that he did have throughout, um, notably with DRS, which were very well documented on social media. Um, but he was very, he was very composed and relaxed. Um, so after afterwards as well, um, when he was uh, when he was speaking to the to the media uh, and giving some very fine um, and very honest um, answers there. Um, we've already spoken briefly about poor share. Um, uh, I'll chime in as well. I, I thought it was absolutely, um, absolutely electric, uh, throughout the year. Um, there were certainly times where he overstepped the mark and he admitted that himself, which I think is very, very, um, good for him to do. Um, I think the, the strength that he showed stepping up from, from formula four straight into FI formula three, um, Taking ART right to right to um to um you know a championship decider um absolutely fantastic uh, throughout the year uh, is is a kid who's going to have a really really good future um I, I do think um if he carries on this momentum um certainly think that he can there's a lot that he still needs to learn uh, when it comes to races but I, I think he'll be the first person to admit that as well. 
Um, I do want to talk about Sargent as well. Um, I, I thought it was really, really unlucky to to get taken out in in that third race, in in that final race. Um, but overall, throughout the year, he he was really, really, really good. I thought um, we we pretty much written him off coming into the to, into the season, didn't we? Um, when when looking back at our um, predictions, is arguably the the weaker of the of the three Premier drivers. But he really asserted himself as a as a like incredibly strong qualifier. Um, he, he always got better and better over over one lap. Um, Monza aside, really, he was always in always in the hunt for for pole position, um, and he he showed that he could um, mix it in the races as well. Um, that race up until he took himself out at Monza um, last weekend, where he climbed from twenty sixth to, to fourth, was absolutely brilliant. Um, and he showed that he can win races from the front as well, um, like he did at Silverstone earlier in the year. Uh, Josh, what did you make of um, Sargent's championship campaign? Well, easy to say, but the Monza race two incident is probably the bit he'll regret the most. You know, had that not happened, I think things might have turned out very, very differently. But yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying in terms of, you know, he certainly exceeded my expectations of him coming into the season. Um, I'm a little worried, but similar things might happen to him that happened to uh, Jahan Daruvala last year. Obviously, racing with Pramer, and I underestimated him before the season, and he had a really good year in F3 last year. The event stepped up to F2 this year, and it's been pretty poor. So I'm hoping that Sargent will be able to have a good year if he steps up to F2. Certainly is, is worthy of that promotion. Because like you said, especially over one lap, he was easily the strongest driver. Um, and was, yeah, we're very impressive. A good match for his two teammates, who are both obviously champions of regional F3. Um, so yeah, certainly a lot better than in 2019, that's for sure. And much more like the form um, we used to see from him in sort of British Formula 4 and in the Euro Cup. Mm. Now we mustn't forget um, the, the winners of the races themselves. Uh, Frederick Vesti, the, the promo driver we haven't mentioned yet, um, he, he took um, victory in the first race. Um, absolutely fantastic display from him. And Liam Lawson was crushingly dominant in the in the second race um, to, to round off the year. Both of them ended up with um, the highest number of wins this year with three, um, which is higher than, than any of the championship contenders. Um, so do we think that with a bit more luck and perhaps a bit more um, savvy in battle, that Vesti and Lawson could, um, should have been in this championship hunt as well. We could have had six drivers realistically in in with a shout coming in into the final race. Uh, Josh, what do you think of that? Yeah, we could we could have done, but then also if Piastri and Sargent had made a mess of uh, Monza, it should have been a, a sort of two way fight for the title. So you can sort of look at it both ways. But yeah, uh, Frederick Vesti, a couple of really bad weekends cost him, um, especially towards the end of the season. He was brilliant. Obviously, he took back-to-back race one victories in, in Monza and Mugello. Um, so, yeah, it's a shame. I'd like to see him fighting with, with Piastri and Sargent all season. But really, that mid-season dip cost him dearly. Um, I think he had a run of about um, eight, nine, ten races off the podium, which really, really cost him. Uh, and Lawson, you know, that run of uh, three retirements, especially the, the engine fire in Hungary, the crash um, with Hughes in Austria, just sort of derailed the title challenge before it had even begun. And was just a very, very up and down driver. I think high tech as a team seemed to struggle a lot more than last year. Um, and look at Magella. I mean, he was nowhere in the first race and then ended up winning the, the second race by a mile. So, uh, you know, very confusing sometimes and quite puzzling. Um, but yeah, in, in a different alternative world with a, a couple of different results, absolutely both of these drivers could be in contention. But still a really good year and, and both of them, for sure, uh, deserve the to have to. 
Mm-hmm. We'll have a we'll have a full um, podcast. I think I believe dedicated to to the the whole Formula Three season uh, review, and we've got fe- we'll have features as well on the website um, at various points as well. Um, but let's move to, on to to Formula Two um, because that was in action again this weekend as well. And uh, it was back to form for Christian Lungard in qualifying, where he was mightily impressive uh, to take pole position. And then it kind of all went a bit wrong for him in, in the feature race. Um, and a poorly timed safety car for, for him meant that um, he, he dropped back and uh, the, the end result was a, a one-two for, for high-tech growth. Rikita Mazepin, who started on the alternative strategy and um, led home teammate Luca Giotto. Um, and then in the sprint race, it kind of went a bit wrong. Uh, Josh, can you explain what happened in the sprint race between the two high-tech drivers? Yeah, Nikita Mazepin defending, I think it was fifth place from Luca Giotto. The two of them had raced brilliantly on Saturday. I made a big point of how what good friends they were, how they could race comfortably with each other on the way to a one-two for high-tech. And then proved all that completely wrong on Sunday. With a fairly simple mistake from Mazepin, just locked up. Slammed into Giotto. Uh, Giotto got beached in the gravel. You know, nothing malicious, nothing dangerous. Just a simple mistake. From us. I don't think it's too much of concern, but yeah, quite an embarrassing moment for the team. Um, very much a hero to zero. If I was one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was uh, very, very... Uh, it must have been an interesting debrief afterwards. Um, the the sprint race, funnily enough, was uh, won by, by Lungard, who was absolutely dominant. Um in that regard, and he said that he needed some new underwear when he saw the VSE came out because he was worried that it was going to uh, become a safety car and that would have uh, made his d- job a lot more difficult in the sprint race, um, not least with um, people pitting for the tyres at the end um, to, to go on a, an alternative strategy. Um, in the title race, Mick Schumacher has, has taken the lead after issues in, in the feature race for the likes of Robert Schwartzman, uh, Callum Eilat and Guan Yu Zhou. Um, so Schumacher's just consistently racking up the points, uh, this year, uh, Josh, how do you think that like these, these quiet performances where he is just racking up the points, um, uh, quite impressive, or do you think that, um, the fact that his big title rivals have hit problems so frequently, um, does, like take a bit of the sh- bit of a shine off it. Well, I mean, Schumacher crashed in qualifying, didn't he? And then <laughs> was 15th on the grid, charged to fifth on the grid, uh, fifth uh, in the feature race. So, like you say, finished fourth in the sprint race as well. Um, so, no, no, I think he's been very consistent, very, very impressive. Again, many people you know, wrote him off after he took out his teammate in the Silverstone sprint race, the second one. Um, but, you know, he came back. He's still sort of making mistakes, still having crashes. In the day, he's getting results. You know, he's finished in the top five in the last seven races, and that's really put him in good stead for the championship. And you can't really say the same about Eilat, who's a lot more sort of up and down, um, quite similar with Short as well. Um, and Schumacher's easily been, you know, just about probably the most consistent, despite still making some mistakes. He does at least tend to get it to the end of the races. So, uh, yeah, no, Schumacher's doing a great job, and I don't think that the mistakes of the drivers or the up and down performances take anything away. If he can come away with the championship this year, and, you know, fair play to him. He's, he's driven very well and uh, he'll have a tough run in that for sure. I mean, yeah, we talked about how open it was last week. Well, this round seems to open up, up, open it up even more with Lungard sort of coming back into the race. So, uh, yeah, I've got no idea what to expect. 
under Sergei Schumacher, who is, can I even say he's doing the best job? He's doing definitely one of the best jobs at the moment, and just keeping it consistent and wrapping up those points. Yeah, uh, I fully agree. I just sort of tried to to see what sort of answer I'll get um, by asking such a question. Uh, one driver who I thought was, was particularly impressive this weekend was Louis Delatraz, who we haven't really spoken about much about this year. Um, he had arguably his best weekend in Formula 2, taking a brace of podiums, and now he's off to, to race in Le Mans with, um, with one of the, the LMP1 teams. So he's got a busy, busy time ahead. Um, he, he would, by the end of Sochi, he would have done five race weekends in a row. He would have done about 10 weekends out of a, well, 12 weekends out of 13 or something ridiculous like that. So, Josh, how does the driver manage that sort of thing? Well, with great difficulty, it's very hard to, to switch between the start. I think that he was obviously having easily his best year in Formula 2, his first ever double podium, uh, his biggest points all he's ever scored in Formula 2. Still waiting for that first win, of course, as a uh, a quite quick point out, but uh, you know, he, he had a, a fairly difficult debut. Um, it's quite a learning curve, and we'll see how he goes for Rebellion this weekend. A very, very different to uh, obviously Formula Two. Cars. So uh, yeah, it, it's great that he's sort of juggling all this stuff and just loves racing every weekend and still getting really good results. So uh, yeah, good luck to him at and we'll see for the rest of the season if he can get that win. It seems fairly unlikely, just because the competition is so high that you really need to be quick and that. Uh, I think, along with Bruce, it's just not quite a package, but I think had the pace for the win. But to answer your question, with great difficulty, but uh, he's just about managing it. Mm-hmm. Well, he's considerably fitter than what I am. I can I can tell you that much. So I, I know I would definitely struggle, or even after one race weekend, uh, to, to manage that sort of thing. Um, let's, uh, let's move on to uh, goings-on in Austria, um, because Formula Regional European... Uh, Euro Formula Open and Italian F4 was also on that bill um, because Italian F4 likes to race in Austria. Now, this is <laughs> Elliot chimes in uh, and talks about uh, what happened uh, over in Austria. Hi, yeah, this weekend I was in Austria for uh, Euro Formula, Formula Regional European Championship, and Italian F4. And it was, it was a very busy weekend. It was pretty much the same as usual in Euro Formula. We had UFEA. Uh, winning both races from the front, which he's now done five times out of six attempts in 2020. Uh, and almost the same in Formula Regional, actually, because we had Prima dominating as per usual, bar besides the car of Jamie Chadwick, which was, as usual, off the pace of her teammates. But we had Gianluca Petrov, you know, doing a very good job from the front. Oliver Rasmussen also picked up a win to keep himself in the title battle. But an otherwise, you know, pretty quiet weekend in both of those series. And then in Italian F4, we had... Uh, a lot of drivers who have missed rounds so far because of uh, commitments to ADA CF4, or they just, you know, they haven't had the budget yet. It came to the Red Bull Ring. We had 31 cars. I think actually only 27 started the final race of the weekend, and there was a lot of action. You know, there's only nine or ten corners at the Red Bull Ring, but some brilliant overtaking. Uh, I think the two Red Bull Juniors, Johnny Edgar and Jack Crawford, did a kind of Mick Hakkinen at Spa on Premier's Gabriel Mini. Um, at turn four which was pretty stunning to see uh, and Mini who's now the championship leader he had you know pretty pretty good weekend uh, Joshua Dirksen Mucka Motorsport his first start of the year he won as well so a lot of good names uh, well a lot of good drives from a lot of rising talents and I chatted to a lot of them so we're going to have some features throughout the year uh, we're going to spread them out because we don't want you know them all at once but 
uh, a lot of action, a lot of rising stars, and more than anything, a lot of cars. And that's always a good thing to see in 2020. Let's move on to to the Road to Windy, because that was back in action this weekend. Uh, it's a hastily rescheduled uh, mid-Ohio date. Um, and there was a bit of a bit of a, a strange one that happened in in the second Indy Pro 2000 race. Um, it, it was wet at the start. A bunch of drivers skated off the track, um, even on the formation laps, uh, and very early on into the race. So they, they red flagged the race and they paused it and then resumed it after the, the IndyCar race, um, but with the, the positions as they were when the red flag was called. Um, this really, really helped uh, Stingray Rob, um, who, who took the, the wing in, win in that second race, and he's uh, opened up a very healthy points lead now to to Devlin DeFrancesco. Um, so that, that first win that he took a, a few weeks ago um, really seems to have... Uh, in, in a strong position to take a uh, potentially somewhat surprising uh, Indy Pro 2000 title. Uh, it was interesting to see how how well um, the likes of Manuel Silliman, who won the first race, his first win in that category, um, and, and Di Francesco and Hunter McElroy, uh could climb up the field. They, they couldn't do so particularly well. Uh, Mid-Ohio is such a difficult circuit to overtake on, especially without any overtaking aids such as the push to pass that the IndyCar has got. So it was very interesting to see. Uh, Rob's victory in race two wasn't easy, though, because he had to uh, negotiate uh, the uh, the more gentlemanly drivers, if you will, with Charles Finelli and, and Bob Kaminsky, who were battling over last place on the circuit, and they all nearly came to grief, uh, whilst he was also under pressure from, from Parker Thompson. So uh, very, it was... Certainly an eventful race too, but that uh, was split into two parts. And we don't see that too often in, in, in racing these days. Um, over in USF 2000, Christian, Christian Rasmussen, who started the season off so well, had a, had a really difficult weekend um, where he, he only took one win, if you will. Um, but he, he had two, two difficult races and a really strong weekend for, for Reese Gold um, has elevated him up to, to just 14 points behind. So let's move on to, to Formula Renault Euro Cup because that was in action for, for the second weekend in a row. And we, we're starting to get a, a title picture emerge, uh, I think, between uh, Victor Martin and uh, Chai Collette. Uh, so I, I want to bring Bethany in to, to sort of uh, to get a little bit of insight as to, to how um, she thinks... Uh, you know, the Euro Cup um, title picture is uh, starting to to take shape uh, between these two drivers. And, of course, David Vidalez, who missed the first round, isn't too far behind either. Um, yeah, they're two very good drivers. I've, I cannot remember what we said at the start of the season, but they, they're looking at it now. I, I think, of course, we would have picked them at the start of the season because they are two incredible drivers and i'm just loading the page because my technology hates me but yeah they're they're two they're really evenly matched i think martens has the um momentum like he's had three wins from four races now and colette but colette's had two podiums at at 
in France, which I'm sure Elliot has just gone and talked about whilst my phone was dead. But um, yeah, they're two really evenly matched drivers. I I don't think either one of them is going to run away with it. And I don't think we should have been surprised. I cannot remember what we said at the start of the season, but they're two, they're two drivers with great, they had great Formula 4 years, if my memory serves me correctly, and either one of them could win this. Now, we're halfway, we're not even halfway through the season, so obviously either one of them could win it. But I wouldn't, at this age, pick one. And I think we'll see them both step up into a Formula 3 seat next year. Yeah, you, you you definitely um, think that maybe even both uh, potentially or or all three if you do include uh, Vidalas who has been so strong in in his first uh, single seater season. Um, one interesting anecdote um, that we picked up from Piastri is that he thought his uh, title battle with uh, with Martins was uh, a bit more intense uh, than than his one with uh, with Sargent. Um, uh, perhaps that can be put down a little bit to the fact that him and Sergeant are good friends, um, whereas I believe uh, he hasn't got the same uh, sort of uh, friendship with with Martins, and it was very very close in, in that championship last year. Uh, so it, it's starting to shape up, shape up to be a really really uh, strong um, strong championship between between the two so it'll be interesting to see how it how it goes um especially if they do go to Wimbledon on the on the formula one bill as well um elsewhere uh around europe there was a, a double win for for Sato in french formula four um to take the championship lead in there and over in denmark um three different race winners uh conrad larsen benjamin frisland and v- william wolf uh shared the wins in, in danish formula four um as a slightly bizarre moment for for Juju Noda, among others, in in the third race, which was in the wet, where um, uh, quite a few drivers uh, locked up going into into the into the final corner, um, but instead of trying to recover and lose ground or potentially hit a wall, um, they took to the pit lane instead. So they all lost a lot of ground. Well, they lost a lot of ground uh, having to go trundle through the pit lane. Um, Rather than risk uh, damaging the car, which I thought was a slightly amusing uh, moment, um, we'll have features on the website uh, this week with uh, all of our Formula Three season review stuff and uh, heaps of other stuff uh, that I'm sure Elliot would have got from uh, over in um, over in Austria um, podcasts, hopefully, and more. And we'll have news stories as well from our new Formula Three champion. Um, we've also got an update on on Yuri Vips and his Super Formula campaign that hasn't quite got going yet, um, among others. So to, to round off this podcast next week, um, there isn't that much on, actually, for a change, which is nice for us because <laughs> I feel like we could do with a little bit of a break after another uh, frantic triple header. Um, that, means you can, that means you can watch British Formula 4 this weekend, Craig. Um, hopefully, uh, it will have to be on my second screen though, because the, the 24 hours of Le Mans is going to take, um, precedence, I'm afraid. 
Uh, oh dear! I'm sure I'll get in trouble for that. Uh, but anyway, that, that's partly why there isn't as much on this weekend. But what we have got is a bunch of Formula Four. Um, we've got British F4 at Fruxton, as mentioned. We've got German F4 at Hockenheim, Spanish F4 at Jerez. Um, hopefully, uh, Chinese Formula Four, uh, Southeast Asian Formula Four, Central American Formula Four, um, and British F3 at Donington as well. And just to top it off, Formula Regional Japan is in action from Motegi. So I think that is all from us for, for this week. Uh, it's quite a quick one uh, for a change, but we'll hopefully have a, a full Formula 3 season review um, coming up soon um, once we've just worked out the, the logistics of how that's all going to work um, and put some... So well, smashed our heads against the keyboard and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I'm sure that Josh and myself particularly have got plenty to, to be writing uh, in that regard. Um, but that's it for us uh, from us for this week. So we'll be back soon with another Formula Scout podcast. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>